No, maybe we'll just uh, open with a word of prayer. Our dear God and Father, we will just thank you for the day that we've had so far. We thank you for what you've done for us, what you've blessed us with, Father. We thank you for your gift of your your only beloved Son, Lord Jesus, Father. We thank you that not only did he do your will and go to the cross, but he did your will in every aspect of his life, Father. Here on this earth, every step he took brought joy to you, Father. And we just pray now as we consider him, consider his life, consider his sufferings, Father, that you would just open our hearts, open our ears, help us to to learn from him and be like him, Father. We pray as um, we pray that you just give us wisdom, give us understanding, and pray that the words spoken would be from you, Father, and from you alone. We just commit our time now into to your hands. In the name of the Lord Jesus, Amen. 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 All right, Hebrews 12, 3. So that's the verse. That's obviously the the topic for this camp, um, and obviously it, it challenged us to consider Christ. Um, and I guess for tonight's um, aspect of Christ's life, we'll be looking a little bit, I guess, into his sufferings and his um, persecutions from from those around him. And tonight's verse is from First Peter, chapter two. Uh, verse 22 to 23 and it says who did no sin speaking of the Lord Jesus so he did no sin neither was guile found in his mouth who when he was reviled reviled not again when he suffered he threatened not but committed himself to him that judges righteously so I guess basically what this verse is saying is um that Jesus, you know, he didn't retaliate when there was opposition and persecution against him. He didn't speak in a rude manner um, or a mean manner if he ever did retaliate, which I don't think he did. So that's kind of the explanation of the verse. And that's all we need to know. We can just go home. No, I'm just kidding. Um, maybe we'll have a closer look at the verse itself. Um, how about we just, I wanted to start off with looking at some of the words, which I know personally when I was growing up, I found them a little bit um, difficult to understand. So, the first word that I always found a bit weird, and might be, maybe it's an old English word, guile. So, basically we can see the definition there. It basically means sly or cunning intelligence. It means deception. So, when we think about the Lord Jesus, when He spoke... He always spoke the truth. There was no deception. Um, he didn't try to argue in a clever way. or you know, He didn't try to trap people with his words. Which was... I mean, if you look at the Pharisees and the scribes and the Jews around him. That's exactly what they were trying to do to him. Trying to trap him with their words. But he spoke the truth. Always. Even if it meant he was blunt. Even if it meant that he was persecuted. Um, but obviously we can look at that a little later. Also, revile, which is a word I, when I was growing up, had no idea what it, done, what it meant. But basically it just means to criticize in an abusive or an angry or an angrily insulting manner. So we would know just from reading the Gospels that the Lord, he was often or not criticized for his words and the works which he did. Um, and we can always see that when people spoke to him, um, they weren't al always um, respectful. They didn't speak to him in a respectful manner. Um, and particularly as you get closer to the events of the cross, um, we know how the Lord was ill-treated. So, he was reviled. He was spoken to in, I guess, an abusive or angry way. And yet, in all of this... Uh, it says he reviled not again. Um, he didn't threaten. And in everything he committed himself to him that judges righteously, who is God. So that's that's our verse for tonight. Um, so I thought it would be good to kind of look at that verse 
Um, in a, a little bit of context, um, particularly in First Peter, as this is where the verse is found. So, um, it might be good to you know have a little bit of background on the epistle of First Peter and to kind of see the greater picture of, of where these verses land. Um, and just on a side note, I would encourage everyone to read the first epistle of Peter. It's only a short book, five chapters. Shouldn't take you more than 15, 20 minutes to read. Um, the epistle itself, uh, I guess we could title it as the, the, the epistle of suffering and glory. And we see both these themes um, through the book um, fairly predominantly. Um, and I'm sure if you ask anyone here, they'll tell you that suffering and glory usually go together. And that suffering usually precedes glory. Um, even with the example of the Lord Jesus, he suffered and now obviously he sits in heaven above in glory. Um, so starting off in the epistle, uh, Peter, he talks about um, a heavenly inheritance, uh, which is our joy and our hope. Um, which is really nice to know because here on earth, even though we will go through some trials and sufferings, um, we can be encouraged because we can look forward to this um, heavenly, in, heavenly inheritance um, and the glory that is in Christ. Um, and also, we would know that from the scriptures of, old, of the Old Testament and the prophets, they speak of the sufferings of Christ and the glory that was to follow for Him and for us being associated with Him. And so it's not surprising that when Jesus is here on earth, he speaks of these prophecies concerning himself, concerning his death. Um, what is surprising, though, is that the people of the time who should have known the scriptures and even his disciples, um, they could not comprehend. Um, they could not comprehend that he had to go into sufferings, and um, we're reminded as well in in First Peter, if we go to chapter two, verse twenty-one. Um, basically, you know, it's we're reminded that we as well will go through sufferings. We, we as well, we experience sufferings on this earth, um, and so it's no surprise to us. Um, um, but also, because we go through these sufferings on here on earth, we get to join in with the glory of Christ in the future. Again, our heavenly inheritance. And again, if just a bit more context of Peter, if we read on, you know, we get this presentation. Um, we get this presentation of us being redeemed by the blood of Christ, which is in First Peter, chapter one, eighteen to nineteen. And because of this, you know, we're we're called to live a holy life. So we're basically told as well that there's nothing in this world that will last um, in the world except for the word of God. And we're encouraged to love one another, and so on and so forth. And then chapter 2 starts off with instructing us to lay aside malice, guile. There's that word again. Um, and so basically, we have this presentation of future hope. Um, the idea of suffering before glory and the precious price paid for us. And with that in mind, we're told to lay aside all these evil doings um, and... I guess that kind of makes sense. It seems fairly logical. It seems like a fair request. Uh, Christ has done all these things for us. Um, he's made us a holy, a holy priesthood. He's redeemed us. He's given us a heavenly inheritance. And so when he asks us to, to live a holy life, to lay aside malice and guile and all these things, I think it's a fairly reasonable request. I mean, if you were to think about, I guess, in our daily lives, if I was to go to work and someone said, look, if you do this job, I'm going to pay you. Um, and this is the contract. I think most people would be like, okay, that's fine. I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to do this job. And the end of it, I'll get paid. But in this case, we have someone saying, look, I'm going to pay you in advance. I'm going to give you a promotion. I'm going to set you up for retirement. And I'm going to do all of this before you even start working. So how do you think you'd respond to that? How do you think you'd, uh, you'd do that job? I think you would do it 
you know, with all your heart. You put as much effort into it as possible. Just because of the gratitude you have for this person. And so we're in a similar situation here. We're presented um, with what Christ has done for us. Um, and basically asks us to walk worthy of what he's done for us. Christ has paid the price with his blood. He's promoted us to a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He's given us a, an inheritance, a retirement, which is in heaven. Um, but having said that, there's still work here to do on earth. And that work, unfortunately, will involve some suffering, some persecution. Um, again, if we read through the chapter, Peter, t- Peter instructs us to abstain from fleshly lusts, um, instructs, instructs us to live a life pleasing to God and in subjection to authorities, loving one another, and basically we're told we should be gracious when suffering, particularly when we do no wrong for the sufferings that we receive. And this is obviously contrasted with the sufferings which that we get sometimes for doing the wrong things. And then obviously that leads into the example that we're given of Christ um, and um, we know that He did no wrong whatsoever. So the sufferings that He got were, um, I guess, based for... because He stood up for what was right. Um, and he's the example that's given before us. He's the, he's, the, he's the one that we should be imitating. Um, he's, the standard that, he's the standard of living that we need to adhere to. And, um, yeah, the example for us, particularly when it comes to suffering. And I just wanted to look at um, a couple of things concerning suffering. So, again, if you take a couple of verses before the verses we're focusing on tonight... You see, I guess I've just labelled it incorrect suffering and correct suffering. So, um, incorrect suffering, suffering for the wrong things that we've done, correct suffering, suffering for not doing the wrong thing, doing the right thing, possibly standing up for the right thing, standing up for the truth. Um, and you've got the verses there. They're actually the same verse. Um, so the context of this verse that presents to us is... For tonight's session is, you know, it, it, um, it really relates to our daily walk. Um, and obviously, like I've said, with our daily walk, that, that comes along with suffering. And I guess what we need to consider when, when thinking of Christ is, you know, how do we deal with the sufferings that, that we're faced? You know, when, we're, when we've got opposition, when we've got um, persecution, how do we deal with it and how, do, how does Christ deal with it? Um, and obviously, Christ is our example. And again, he, he didn't only suffer in his death on the cross. He, he suffered throughout his whole life. So there's a few different types again, like I said. And these are kind of the two ones that I picked. Um, and I just want to kind of maybe give an example of this. And um, I look around the room. There's a lot of young people. Um, maybe some still in school. Maybe some in uni. And if you can imagine, you know... School and uni, one thing you have usually is exams. And let's, let's use the example, maybe I haven't studied for, exa- for an exam. And I, I go to Jacob, I'm like, hey Jacob, have you studied for the exam today? Jacob's like, yeah, yeah, I studied for it. I'm like, do you mind if I, if I copy off you? Because I haven't studied. And then, you know, Jacob, he wants to um, make some friends. So he's like, yeah, yeah, you can copy off me. That's all good. That's all right. Get to the exam. We, we cheat off each other, I guess. We get caught. Teachers find out. Parents find out. And if you're Egyptian, you know that when your parents find out, that's probably a big, big no-no. They'll probably you know, get the shoe off and give you a, a good smack. You know, you probably might fail the subject. You might have to repeat it. And, then, you know, Jacob's sitting there going, oh... You know, when the teachers were yelling at me, I kept quiet, just like Christ did. When my parents were yelling at me, I kept quiet. I didn't, I didn't revile back. I didn't threaten. I committed myself to God. Is that the correct type of suffering? I, I don't think so. That's, that's suffering for things that you've done wrong. That's suffering for the things that you deserve. Um, the verse says, for your faults. Um, 
I don't think God is pleased with that. I don't even think that's acceptable before God. But if Jacob had turned around and said, Hey, look, um, I'm not interested in doing this thing. And, you know, I haven't studied through exams, so I fail. And so maybe I get angry at Jacob, start calling him names. You know, maybe it gets a bit physical after school, a few punches here and there. Tell everyone, tell, hey, Jonathan, Salvatore, don't, in- don't invite Jacob to, to your birthday parties. Jacob's not a cool guy. Start spreading rumors about him, all that kind of things. Jacob, he's suffering. He's being persecuted by me because he's doing the right thing. And he stood up for the correct thing. Um, and you'll find that, you know, this also flows over into our faith. It's not sometimes because of our practical works that will suffer. Sometimes we can just be persecuted just because of our faith towards God. Just because we're believers, we call ourselves Christians, sometimes we'll just suffer just for that fact alone. Um, and so I guess in this situation between me and Jacob, sorry, Jacob, I'm using this as an example, but um, we can follow the example of Christ here and commit ourselves to him that judges righteously. And, you know, God can take care of these situations if he, if he wants to. You know, maybe I, I get expelled from school and Jacob doesn't have to deal with my persecution anymore. Maybe I get moved school, you know. You'll find that God takes care of situations. Um, and for those of us who are older, you know, you would have experienced these situations through school, through uni, through work, where you've just got difficult people who, I guess, uh, persecute you. Sometimes, because you're a Christian, sometimes they're just a mean person. Um, but you'll find that when you commit yourself to God... He'll either give you the grace to go through through the situation or he'll remove those people out of your lives permanently. Um, and you'll find, I guess, different types of oppression, I guess, different type of people who persecute you. Um, you know, some people, that's just their nature. Um, some people, I've had managers who were just mean to everyone. It wasn't just me particularly because I'm a believer. They were just mean to everyone. Um, sometimes it is because we're believers. And if you think of Christ as an example, I mean, there were those who, I guess, oppressed him just because that was what they did. I mean, if you think of the, the Roman soldiers at the time of his death, yeah, okay, they treated him badly, but I'd assume they treat everybody badly. You know, it's, it wasn't something specific towards Christ. Whereas if you consider the, the Pharisees or the scribes, they they didn't like the Lord for who he was and he was the son of God and for what he did in revealing their evil works. So sometimes it's, it's just a general thing. Sometimes it's specific to us. Um, so if we consider Christ, particularly in suffering, our mind usually tends to, to, to wander towards the cross. Um, and although, you know, this is correct... We should also consider the, the sufferings that Christ experienced here on earth, apart from the cross. And I guess that's part of the context that we get here in First Peter. Um, because, again, First Peter speaks a lot about our daily walk. And, you know, sometimes we'll face persecution. And, you know, again, like I said, sometimes it's just because people just don't like others. You know, they just mean to other people. Sometimes it's because they're you know, prejudice to us because of our faith, because of our belief in Christ. So, I guess what I wanted to kind of think about is kind of how do we respond when we're in those kind of uh, situations when we're suffering. And um, I want to recall last year's topic because it was fairly fresh in my mind. We spoke about Joseph, if you guys remember... Um, he was oppressed because of who he was. He was the son of Jacob, the favorite son. Um, and I remember last year we mentioned a lot of similarities between Joseph and Christ. And, you know, and because of who he was, he was sold as a slave. Um, 
because of the stand that he took, he was, he was sent to prison. And after all that was done, um, after all the suffering that he went through, he was promoted to be the second in command in Egypt. So you can see he's gone from the sufferings to the glory. Um, and we can think of how he responded. Um, and I think we can safely say he's, he responded a lot like the Lord Jesus. Um, um, you know, we can't really say there was any guile in him. There was no reviling that Joseph did. He might have complained here and there to the, the butler and the, the baker, but, you know, there's a reason why he's such a good type of Christ. Another good example in the Old Testament is, is Job. Um, you know, what was his response when he lost everything? Why did he lose everything to begin with? It was because Satan was essentially persecuting him. He went to, the, he went to God and said, you know, this guy only praises you because... You give him, you give him everything he needs. But the the response from Job is is, is amazing, you know. Um, he says, "The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord." Essentially, just committing himself to God, just recognizing that he's in God's hands, no matter what. And that's um, and in the second verse, this is Job speaking again. What shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this, did not did not Job sin with his lips? Lips. So, you know, these are a couple of examples that kind of came to mind from the Old Testament. There's heaps in the Bible. Um, obviously, first and foremost is the example of the Lord Jesus, which we'll focus on a bit more tonight. I guess, you know, what, why is it? Why is this important? You know, to to respond the way Christ responded when we're suffering. Um, you know, why, why is it important for us to, to follow the, the example of Christ and essentially be, be imitators of Christ? Um, if we go back to the example I, I gave with Jacob, you know, maybe cheating at school and an exam, um, I could have asked Jacob, hey, why won't you let me cheat off you? And his response could have been, look, it's the right thing to do. Um, and we heard from Mike earlier this afternoon that sometimes good, doing good for the sake of doing good is it's not good enough. Um, you know, Jacob could have said, "Hey, look, and I don't want to do this. I don't want to get caught getting, I don't want to get caught cheating. I don't want to get in trouble from the teachers, and so on and so forth." But and that would have been a reasonable answer. But I think a better answer is um, the one we have from Joseph, which is what I have up there. Um, in Genesis 39 verse 9 and his response to Potiphar's wife when she was trying to tempt him is how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God okay so the first first thought that Joseph had was he was responsible before God and likewise we too we have a responsibility before God that we not only keep away from sin and malice, as we have in, in the chapter chapter 2 of Peter, and all those kind of things. But also, when we're oppressed or persecuted, just as Jesus was, that we need to conduct ourselves in a manner that is, that is acceptable before God. And in doing so, we give glory to God. Um, and not only do we have a responsibility before God, we also have a responsibility before men. Um, if we read the verse on the screen, it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh of you a reason of the hope that is in you. With meekness and fear, having good, a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you, falsely accuse your good manner of life in Christ. For it is better... If the will of God be so, that you suffer for well doing than evil doing. So we have like, essentially a testimony, a testimony to present to those around us in our daily lives. Um, and when we act the same way that Christ did, um, even during sufferings, even during, even even when we're persecuted, people will take note of this. And you know that's an opportunity for us to give glory to God. 
and possibly even, you know, present the gospel to other people. And again, reading this passage, we have a responsibility for men. And I'm just going to read the highlighted part. And it says, For the times past, oh, sorry, disregard the typo there, of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lavishness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, carousing, abominable idolatries, in which they think it strange that you are not with them to the same prolificity, speaking evil of you. That's in First Peter 4, 1-6. And we can see here in this passage that sometimes when we take a stand for the things of God, um, when we conduct ourselves in a manner of life that is pleasing to God, um, those around us, they might not understand you know, why we do this. You know, we could be a new believer, new to Christ, a young believer, we could purpose in our hearts, like Daniel did in the Old Testament, to live for God. And those around us will wonder why. Why would we make such a choice? And we can tell them why. Because Christ has paid the price and give us, given us our heavenly inheritance. You know, basically what we've had in, in First Peter. And you know, sometimes, even then, people won't understand. And you know, you'll hear comments from... Friends at work, maybe at school, and you know, people always say like, "Oh, you know, how come you don't drink with us, or you know, come out partying with us, and, you know, do the things that we do." Um, I've had people come up to me after you know, work Christmas party and say, oh, "I've never seen you drunk." Of course not. <laughs> you know, it's this. You know, we're we're trying to be an example of Christ to others. Um, Mike said it before, you know, he's got people who do good, who don't swear, because they're trying to do the right thing. But why do we do it? We're doing it because we're, we're being an example of Christ to others. Um, and, but people won't understand that. People will, will, will question that. Um, they won't understand why you won't do the same thing as they do. And even during the time of the Lord Jesus, you know, the Pharisees were questioning the Lord, saying, how come your disciples um, don't do the same things that we do? How come they don't observe the, war, the law of washing, washing of hands before eating? Um, you know, the disciples of the Lord Jesus did not walk in the same direction as the Pharisees and the scribes. You know, they were no longer under that law. They were... Like, the Lord hadn't died and gone to heaven yet, but they were essentially transitioning from law into the position of grace. They no longer did the things that they did in their old life. Um, and we as believers, we no longer do the things that we do in our old life. And those around us who are used to doing this thing will question that. And one of the reasons why people don't appreciate or don't like it when we act like the Lord Jesus is because by acting like Christ, we're essentially giving them a standard um, and we re reveal to them that they're doing the wrong thing. And I guess that's one of the very reasons why the Pharisees hated the Lord. Um, because he testified of the world as evil, as being evil. And we find that in um, the Gospel of John, chapter 7 and verse 7. And so when we do the same... When we act like Christ, um, we're essentially condemning them. Um, Michael gave us the example of Noah this, this afternoon when building the ark. and Noah didn't go around telling people that what they were doing was wrong and that they were all going to perish for it. But rather, by his actions of building an ark, he sets a standard. A standard that says... If you're not on the ark, you're going to die. And there's no reason why anyone couldn't have repented and boarded the ark. And, you know, that's the impact we have on others around us when we act like Christ. Um, sometimes we'll have a positive effect on people. I've had a guy at work, you know, he said he was a Catholic believer. And, you know, every time he swore around me, he'd apologize. And, you know, he saw that, I guess, I lived to a... A standard where I didn't swear and I guess maybe pricked his conscience and he, he didn't want to do the same thing. 
Um, and that's, it's nice to see that, but also you'll find the opposite of that, uh, where people feel like, or they use words like, you think you're better than us. They feel that they're being judged simply because of the, the, the standard that you've set before them, the standard that is Christ. Um, and you'll find um, people hating you for this. Um, and people notice a difference in us, and they should notice a difference in us. As believers, we should be um, examples of Christ to all those around us. And they'll observe us. Um, and especially when you tell them we're Christians, you know, they'll put your, your actions, your works under the microscope. And that's why it's important. That's why it's so important to imitate Christ. Again, even during sufferings and persecutions. So I guess I wanted to look at some of um, the responses that Jesus had. Um, throughout his life um, with regards to to sufferings or opposition or persecution. And like some of these examples are on the cross. Not all of them are on the cross. Um, and I just wanted to go through a few examples. Um, and this is not an exhaustive list. So you can go through the Gospels and there's, there's heaps of examples. But um, I remember this one. This is probably one of my... I don't, know what, I don't know. I don't want to say favorites, but um, it stuck with me for a, a long while, and I remember it um, when we were studying the Gospel of John on Friday nights a couple of years back, and I just thought it was amazing how the Lord Jesus responded in this situation. So, a little bit of, of context to this to this verse. Um, basically, the Jews arguing with the Lord Jesus because they think they have Abraham and the law and basically the Lord Jesus is calling them out on it. You know, the Lord Jesus is not one to stand for the hypocrisy. Um, he's one to stand for the truth, even even if it means that he's going to be persecuted for it. Um, basically, there's a bit of back and forth between the crowd and the Lord Jesus and eventually they don't have any kind of logical response and so they they say to the lord jesus um, you can read it there on the screen they say to him say we not well that thou art a samaritan and has a demon and you know we'll see that i guess a lot in our lifetime sometimes we'll be speaking to someone maybe having a discussion and we could be speaking logically all the logic in the world and the other person in front of us won't be having any of that they won't have any logical response and they'll just, you know, resort to name-calling, which is essentially what the Jews here were doing. Name-calling. And this, there's two points here I want to address with the answer of the Lord Jesus. Um, first of all, they say that he has a Samaritan, and ha that he is a Samaritan and has a demon. Um, now, the Samaritan comment, again, a little bit of context, the Jews and the Samaritans had no dealings with one another, you get that from John chapter 4. We know they didn't like each other. The Jews thought they had the place of worship in Jerusalem, which they did. The Samaritans thought it was a different mountain. And there was, I guess, strife between them. And so to call someone who was a Jew a Samaritan was essentially an insult. Um, they were railing against him. But the Lord Jesus, he lets that comment pass by. Um, Again, when reviled, who reviled not. And I remember when we were studying the Gospel of John on Friday nights, a comment was made, was like, if he was to say, I'm not like them, I'm not a Samaritan, how would the Samaritan, if there were Samaritans in the crowd, how would they feel, how would they respond to the Lord Jesus? I mean, imagine, for example, someone came up to me, I'm going to pick on Nathan this time. Someone came up, came up to me and said, Oh, Seher, the way you talk, the way you act, the way you do things, you remind me of one of those Germans. And if I was to turn around and say, Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not a German, man. I'm an Egyptian. You know, how, how would Nathan feel? Like, just sitting there, he'd be thinking, Well, I'm a German. You know, what's wrong with being a German? Is, is that such a bad thing? And essentially, that's the same response from the Lord Jesus. He didn't say anything about being a Samaritan because... He was sensitive to those around him. He didn't 
want to offend those around him. Um, he didn't want to make them feel that... He didn't want people to feel that they couldn't approach him. Um, he didn't want to push them away. Even if it meant that he himself was being insulted. Um, and I guess one of the things we can take away from that is that when someone is attacking us personally, sometimes we should just let it go. Just let it slide. It's not worth it. But when we get to the comment of the Lord Jesus having a demon, now that wasn't an attack on the Lord Jesus personally. Even though he is God, so by deduction it is an attack on him personally, but as a man it was an attack on him personally. It was an attack against the Holy Spirit. To say that he has a demon would say that the power in which he did his miracles, the power which he spoke with, was demonic. And that is speaking against the Holy Spirit. Speaking against God himself. Um, which is a no-no. We can't have that. We need to stand up for God's rights and any attacks against God. Any attacks against the truth of God. Uh, that's where we need to take a stand. Um, so the example before us, I guess, with the Lord Jesus is, you know, we can be attacked personally and, you know, that doesn't matter. We can take it to God, leave it with Him, and I'm sure He will repay us accordingly. And, you know, we can rejoice in that because we're giving glory to God. But when someone speaks out against God in a way that is untruthful, unbiblical, Sometimes, you know, demeaning of God. You know, you hear people taking the Lord's name in vain, speaking evil of God, demeaning the name of God, disregarding God. I think that's the that's, that's time when we should be standing up for, for God and, you know, correcting those people in front of us. And, you know, we need to defend God. We need to defend His glory. And... I, I feel like sometimes you'll hear, you know, either like from, from religions, for example. You know, one, one example is Muslims. They'll say things like, you know, we worship the same God that you do. Your God is the same as ours. You know, we've just got different prophets. But in this case, when people are speaking against God, that's when we need to take a stand. We need to take a stand for the truth. The prophet, the so-called prophet they believe in, and our Lord Jesus are not the same. Nowhere near the same. Far from it. And that is an insult to God. Um, it's an insult to His character. We can't let those things slip by. I'm not saying we need to argue with every person we meet on the street. And I know the Bible tells us sometimes we have to work, walk away from arguments. Because um, some people just want to argue for the sake of arguing. But when someone, um, when we're presented with a genuine opportunity to speak to someone or to speak the truth concerning God or the gospel or the character or the person of God, we need to take that opportunity and we need to correct what is wrong and speak the truth of the Lord Jesus. I'm just a bit mindful of time. Um, if you want to write those verses down, feel free. Um, basically, again, these are all kind of the same situations you'll find, similar situations of what, of what we just had, where people around the Lord Jesus were accusing him of doing work with the power of Satan. And you'll see the response he has to them, um, how he stands up for them, uh, stands up for, for God, sorry, and the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And he couldn't, stand, he couldn't stand around and let people tarnish the glory of God or the testimony of God. And, um, and again, the Lord wasn't afraid to offend people when speaking in the truth. Remember, there's no guile in him. No slyness, no deception. He tells it like it is, and if people are offended, it's probably because of their own conscience condemning them of doing wrong. And you see, you know, the verse I put up there was 
the Lord Jesus was speaking and I think the Pharisees were offended. And you can read the verse, it says, Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? And basically the Lord Jesus just keeps on speaking. Um, he's, he's not int- interested in about people's feelings. He's concerned about the truth. I'm not saying be callous and go be rude to people, but we need to consider the truth when speaking to others. Um, And again, Mike gave us a couple of examples of the Lord Jesus healing on the Sabbath. And again, um, you know, the Lord Jesus was more interested in doing what was right before God in that he was healing on the Sabbath even if it meant that he was met with opposition and persecution from those around him. Uh, This example here, um, is a bit of an odd one, and I wasn't sure if I should include it or not, um, but it was during the temptation of of the Lord Jesus by Satan. Um, And so even, even during this difficult time, Um, He has the clarity of mind to respond. And he responds in all grace and gives glory to God. And if we think of this um, situation when when Satan tempted the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus, I think he just spent 40 days in the wilderness. He was hungry, he was tired. And here comes this guy, Satan, and tells him, hey, why didn't you just turn these stones into bread? He's essentially tormenting the Lord Jesus, taunting him, saying, "You know, you must, you must be starving. You know, just eat a little bit of bread. You know, you know better than anyone else. Um, just turn these stones into bread." And how does the Lord respond? I guess to this oppression from Satan, he responds from Scripture. What an example for us today, even when we're going through a difficult time. And there's no doubt this was a difficult time for the Lord Jesus. He still had the frame of mind to quote scripture. That's our example. When we're down, feeling weak, through suffering, and we're being persecuted, we can find our strength in scripture and our comfort, them, our comfort in them too. Turn to the Bible and turn to God. And again, when Satan tells Jesus, hey, bow down to me and I'll give you this this whole world that you see. It wasn't sufficient for the Lord Jesus just to say no. That's the wrong thing to do, etc., etc. Like we heard, doing good for the sake of doing good is not good. But, you know, for Satan to even suggest anything or anyone other than God can be worshipped is an insult to God. And Jesus could not stand by and have that. He could not stand by and have Satan treading on the things of God by implying that there could be worship had besides anything towards God. He could not stand for it. It's not the truth. We need to stand for the truth when it comes to God, when it comes to His worship. And I guess that's what religions of the world are. Things that take away worship from God. And we have a responsibility to stand up for the truth, the true way of worship. There's only one way that leads to God. There's only one way to worship Him. And it's, it's, it's lovely to see that after this, this, I guess, difficult time where He's being oppressed by Satan, um, and all that He does, He speaks from Scripture, He gives glory to God, we get angels come and minister to Him. Um, so you can see after the difficulties that Christ has gone through, there's a, there's a moment of rest for him. Well, I don't know if you could call it glory, but there's a moment of respite. And that's encouraging for us because, you know, sometimes we'll go through difficult times where we're oppressed and persecuted. I think we just need to keep in mind that um, to follow the example of Christ, use Scripture to, to our advantage and remember that Um, God is there for us. He will minister to us and He will give us rest. This is another example. Uh, Matthew 26, 7-13 and Mark 14, 3-9. to 
Um, I like this example. It's one of the times, there's a few times in, in the Bible where the Lord Jesus is anointed with ointment. And you, you can find them scattered throughout um, the, the, the New Testament, throughout the Gospels. And so, um, in, in this type of example, it's, it's interesting because there's, there's two attacks happening here. There's one against the Lord himself, and the other one is against the person who is doing the anointing of the Lord. Um, it's an attack on the Lord, uh, because essentially those complaining, we know the story, um, various different people brought in alabaster boxes, broke them, anointed the Lord Jesus, and those around them were murmuring, saying, why wasn't this sold and the money given to the poor, and so on and so forth. But essentially what they're saying, they're complaining about, they're saying, well, the Lord Jesus doesn't even deserve, doesn't even deserve this kind of treatment. Doesn't deserve the ointment being poured upon him. And yet, despite this personal attack against him, the Lord Jesus is not even concerned with this. He's concerned with the well-being of the one who's doing the anointing. Um, and it's, it's a similar kind of theme through all these examples when the Lord Jesus is getting anointed. And so he jumps to the defense of this woman that's doing the anointing. And he tells them she's doing the right thing. And it's, it's wonderful to see this. It's wonderful to see that Jesus appreciates what we do for him. Even if those around us can't appreciate it. And, you know, even if those around us are believers and don't appreciate it. It was, you know, if we think of this situation, who was complaining about the Lord Jesus being anointed? It was his disciples. They're the ones that had indignation against the act. They're the ones that were essentially the believers. They should have known better. They're the ones following the Lord. And yet, they, they were essentially um, opposing this woman anointing the Lord Jesus. And we'll find that, that we'll sometimes even get opposition from other believers. But we know that if we're doing the right thing before the Lord, He will stand up for us and He will reward for us. Um, and another good example of this is in, in the Gospel of Luke. Um, I think it's chapter 10, 38 to 42. And basically, it's, it's Martha is displeased with the place that Mary has taken up. Martha is complaining that she's doing all the housework and Mary is doing nothing except for sitting at the feet of the Lord Jesus. But we know that Mary is doing the right thing before God. And Martha is also doing the right thing before God. She's serving. They both have different services. And so we're not to judge others on what their service, what, what service they do. Um... And again, we see that the Lord Jesus comes to, to the defense of Mary um, and no one else. How wonderful to think that it's the Lord that will protect us when we're doing His will. And it's good to remember, even when our brethren wrong us, um, we should also f forgive them. You know, sometimes we'll be persecuted by our own brethren for doing the right thing before God. And even if that's the case, we need to remember that we need to forgive them despite this and know that the Lord Jesus, we're doing it for Him and He's the one that appreciates it. Alright, um, I know we're running out of time, so a couple more examples to go, but I guess um, as we move further on into the, into the life of the Lord Jesus, we're inevitably going to get to the cross. And, you know, during the trial of the Lord, and we can say, you know, it's a bit of a shamble in terms of what the high priest did and, the, and, and those around him. But we'll see that the Lord Jesus, during his trial, is he's mostly silent. Um, and yet, he still answers the high priest um, on occasion because he still acknowledges that the high priest is appointed by God. And therefore, when necessary, he submits to the high priest and thus submits to God. And yet, he's silent in, you'll see in verse 68 of Matthew 26. And we see that in all of this, um, all the, the insults and 
whatnot that was thrown at the Lord Jesus. Um, we see the perfect character of Christ and what we have in our verse tonight. There was no guile, no sin, no reviling back, and he just committed himself to God. Um, and, and in Mark 14, again, the trial of the Lord Jesus, you see the witnesses that the high priests bring before the Lord Jesus. You know, they can't even get their witness to agree one with another. And, you know, the Lord Jesus could have easily said, Aha, you guys, you can't even get your witness right. You know, it's all wrong. He could have defended himself. But he, can, but he keeps silent and he commits himself to God who judges righteously. And, you know, what an example for us today. Sometimes all we need to do is keep silent and God will take care of the rest. In this case, for the Lord Jesus, it was the will of God that he go to the cross. Sometimes when we're facing difficulties and hard times, maybe persecution, we can commit it to the Lord and we can know that he can take care of it. And we can remain silent, so to speak, knowing that God is the one who acts. And I guess you can really see how the Lord Jesus commits himself to God in the words that he speaks to Pilate when he gets to Pilate. And um, John 19 verse 11, it says, Jesus answered, answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it was given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee has the greatest sin. Excuse me. He's basically saying to Pilate that the only reason why you have any power over me is because it's the will of God. Um, and because I, the Lord Jesus, am doing the will of God. And that is, I'm sit, and it calls for me to submit to you um, in order to go to the cross. Um, and that's why you have power over me. But in reality, I'm committing myself to God. It's not because you want to crucify me or anything like that. It's because it's the will of God. And I'm happy to do His will, to go into His hands and be in the hands of the one who will judge righteously. Um, on the cross, and I'm aware I might be treading on a bit of Greg's toes on this, but I'll say it anyway. Um, on the cross, we'll see that the Lord Jesus was silent. Um, again, you can read the references yourselves. Matthew 27, Luke 23. Um, and you just see how he's silent. Um, even there's insult after insult. You know, the, the Pharisees and the high priests and whatever... They're saying he saved others himself. He could not save. If he's truly the son of God, let God save him, etc., etc. And the Lord Jesus, you know, he's just silent. He's committed himself into the hands of God. He's doing God's will and he's, he's happy to, he's content with that. Um, but at one stage he does say, Father, forgive them. Um, Luke 23, uh, 34. And, you know, even during this time of extreme physical pain of the cross, uh, the emotional pain that he would have been facing um, as, as a man, a human, being rejected by those he came to save, and even with the knowledge that, you know, that God himself will forsake him in three hours of darkness, and yet the Lord Jesus has the frame of mind and the compassion to think of the sinners that are in front of him. The sinners that he came to save and he was holding out hope for them. The very ones that, that were crucifying him, he was asking of the Father to forgive them. And how about the thief that was next to him on the cross? Yeah, he, he's a guy who's, you know, a few minutes before speaking to the Lord directly, he was basically reviling him, saying the exact same things as the high priests. Um, saying the exact same things as all those around him. You know, probably saying, hey, save yourself, you know, trust in God, let him save him now. But the thief, you know, something must have clicked in his mind. 
He must have been looking at the Lord Jesus next to him, hanging, and thinking, you know what? Why is this man silent? You know, why is why is he behaving this way? You know, who is this guy anyway? Maybe he hears someone say it's Jesus or whatever. He'd be like, oh, wait a minute. I've heard of this Jesus guy. He's the one that was going around all the different towns and cities doing good and healing the sick and doing all these good works. You know, surely this man is a good man. And surely he's innocent. And why is, he, why is he calling out to the Father saying, forgive them? Surely this man doesn't deserve to die. And that's the conclusion that he comes to. That Jesus doesn't deserve to die. And he, the thief, well, absolutely he deserves to die. And, you know, he says something so simple to the Lord Jesus. He doesn't say, Lord, save me, or Lord, help me, or anything like that. He just says, remember me. He just recognizes who Jesus was. Jesus was the Son of God. And the response from the Lord was immediate. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. It wasn't something like, ah, you know what, you were rude to me before, you were like railing against me, speaking evil words to me, let me think about it, and I'll get back to you. No, he goes, it was today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. And the answer was immediate. Now here's the Lord, he's in, again, physical pain, absolute physical pain, hanging on the cross, agony and suffering. And again, not to mention the emotional pain he would have been going through. And just all around sufferings. Sufferings that we can't even imagine, just from a human perspective, let alone the sufferings that he went through under the judgment of God. And yet, on his mind was this sinner. He was able to take such joy from one repenting sinner. He was, just, he was eagerly waiting for the words to come from the lips of this thief. And the reaction from the Lord Jesus was immediate. The blessing is immediate. That is our Lord. He is always thinking of us, desperate to take us in, to forgive us and to bless us. Now, what a beautiful scene we have before us. The testimony of Christ, the way he conducted himself, and the effect he had on this one sinner. Even for this one sinner, it was all worth it. And he thinks we're worth it too. Despite anything we could have ever done. How wonderful is the Lord. How wonderful is His grace and mercy towards us. What an example we have before us in acting under suffering. So I guess I just wanted to finish up by saying that the epistle of Peter, we see a lot of suffering. And yet there's glory to follow. And it was the same for the Lord Jesus, for this life of the Lord Jesus. Not just in his death, in his whole life he suffered much. We know he was born into a poor family, uh, lived a humble, simple life. And even during his public ministry, you know, just read through the Gospels and you see time and time again opposition and persecution. He suffered much, and so it's not surprising for us, who are followers of him, followers of the Lord Jesus, that we also suffer. And you know what? Sometimes it is the will of God that we go through difficult times. Sometimes it's to test us, to help us grow, to go through trials, but the glory to follow is definitely worth it. So let us consider the life of Christ when presented with the cup of bitterness, he chose to follow God's will. That's Mark and Luke. You can find it in the Gospels. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, suffering, he asked the Father, you know, here's this cup of bitterness that I'm about, about to drink, these sufferings that I'm about to go through, and yet he goes through it, knowing it's the will of God, knowing he can commit himself into his hands, into the hands of the one who judges righteously. Let us consider Christ, 
when through his whole life he suffered. He was rejected, constantly opposed. And let us mirror his life in our own lives, his character and the way we conduct ourselves, so that we too may be, may be able to give glory to God. 